Today's sponsor is FreshBooks, which makes cloud accounting software that's ridiculously easy to use. FreshBooks has completely transformed how 5 million small business owners deal with day-to-day paperwork. They do everything from invoices to expenses to time tracking. You can get a 30-day free trial and start saving time and money at freshbooks.com slash Peter. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by Digital Media. It is a real company with a weird name. I'm here with Keith Olbermann, who is looking at me quizzically. Hi, Keith. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Are you a real company with a real name? I'm not a real company. I'm a a one-man band. It's a real name, though. And you are a real person. I saw you on the internet this morning. Yes. You are calmer now than you were this morning Well, on my MacBook. Yes, that is a condition that will be corrected later in the week. Uh, if when I do these commentaries, the, the GQ things, they calm me down for a short period of time and then off I go again. So we, we should tell people, you've done many things. We'll talk about many of those things. Right now you are doing video commentary on GQ through YouTube and many yes. other places you can watch video. called The Closer, and it's a series we began uh, basically at the beginning of the month. And it is, surprisingly enough, about the 2016 presidential election. And I have a point of view going into this. I am not one of those people who pretend to have objectivity in my analysis. And not only that, but I, but I really did meet it. I was, I was struck. I was watching it last night and then again this morning, uh, different episodes. You really are coming with heat and energy and, and not just a perspective, right? You're, you're angry. You're a genuinely angry person when it comes to Trump stuff, at least, in politics. Get out, Trump. For once in your life, recognize that something is not about you, nor is it about your opponent, nor the Democrats, nor the Republicans. It is about the essence of the United States of America. Yeah, no, I mean, with a sense of history. I mean, for for instance, the one that we're talking about that you saw just now was about the fact that there has never been a presidential candidate in this country who before or after the election has even hinted that he would not recognize the outcome of this. And when addressed uh, by my old colleague Lester Holt, in the debate, they finally got Trump to say, yes, I will support. Grudgingly, yeah, yeah, okay. I support, I support. (laughs) And then uh, when things started to go bad, by that's Monday night. By Friday night, he's telling the New York Times he's going to have to think about that again. He's going to have to rethink it. And that got washed away with everything else he did three hours later. Like everything else that would have made previous presidential candidates flee for Brazil. I mean, if you could have could imagine Richard Nixon at any point saying, I might not recognize Hubert Humphrey as president. He would have been run out of town by the Republicans. But this happens now. There's so many horrendous things that have happened in the Trump campaign in a historical perspective that these things get lost. And my point in, in getting angry about something that happened several days ago is that w- we missed it. And it is, it's truly something that suggests he's not in favor of democracy. And when you put it in those terms, like I've got a perhaps a flawed presidential candidate over here who believes in democracy, and isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but was endorsed by one of the Whitewater investigators who tried to put her in jail or whatever 20 years ago. And over here, I've got a guy who has no idea what democracy is and is clearly not in favor of it. I don't understand why there is a choice that gets me angrier and angrier every day. And there's been this wave of stuff from him, like we've talked about, mm-hmm. everyone has talked about for months, for a year now, for more than a year. He has said things from the minute he came down the, the escalator and talked about dirty rapist Mexicans. Everyone said, yep. well, you, you can't be president. We're not taking you seriously. You're just a joke. Do you think there's a method to that from him that if I just keep piling on and piling on, no one like none of these things can wound me by themselves. None of these things will be a, an outlier. I used to think that there was a certain strategy to it, and many of the people I know who covered the campaign on a daily basis believe that he is trying to in the in the tradition of the great uh, bull salesman of all time. You know, how does he succeed? Volume, volume, volume. 
I'm not sure anymore. I think it's because he has no attention span whatsoever and is, you know, distracted by the latest shiny object. I think that's all it is. And there is also a lot of hate in this man and it's spilling out. And do you think the inability for the news media to to keep track of this or focus attention on any one thing is a failure of the news media? Or this is just, look, this is what it is. There's this much coming through. We can't do all of it all the time. If you had a tsunami every day, how good would your coverage of the tsunami every day be? Because, frankly, many of the people who went out to cover the first one didn't come back. I mean, I hate to be as blunt in in that imagery, but that's what you're seeing. I think of the people who've been working on this campaign between those in the studio and those in the field. The ones in the field have done a a fantastic job compared to the ones in the studio. It's the analysts. It's the people in, in comfortable rooms like this one. Well, slightly cleaner rooms than this. Well, but you know what I mean. They are sitting there as if this was a just a normal campaign. This is this is well, this is ex- much more extraordinary than Romney versus Obama. It's no, 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 no. This is unprecedented. This is at least unprecedented since the eighteen sixty election. I mean, there's some debate eighteen sixty four election in the middle of a civil war. Just by the nature of it, the Democratic candidate wanted to, you know, give up. Uh, that was kind of extraordinary, but 1860, where Lincoln wasn't on the ballot in 12 states and the, and the losers decided, well, our remedy is to start our own country and have a civil war, that may still be more extraordinary. But since then, none of this lines up with the rest of American history, and there are people calmly, intellectually discussing this in places that are supposedly of a liberal bent, and they're just discussing this mildly rather than throwing things at the screen, which is where we should be. And, and so like you said, Trump is, is, is suggesting he'll cause a constitutional crisis. You're sort of suggesting he's already caused one just by saying it. Correct. The focus for the last week has been the way he treated a Miss Universe pageant winner reprehensibly. Yes. If you're the media to go, look, the constitutional crisis, Miss Universe, of course they don't weigh out, except the Miss Universe thing is hitting. It's what people are responding to. That's what's moving the needle. That's what seems to be damaging his chances. That's what's moved the polls. That's the story. We mm-hmm. can't we can't get high and mighty about not picking up on the constitutional no, crisis I, part. No, and I'm, I, I'm not saying it's, it may be either or. And I'm not saying they're wrong in which they take of that equation. I, I mean, I was <laughs> against my will I covered the Monica Lewinsky story for 218 consecutive shows in 1998. And the last week we were on, two of the guests, there was a fellow who's a a, a strategist, I don't remember his name, but the other one was Dr. Richard Haas, who later worked in the Bush administration. Uh And we were talking about anthrax and uh, Al-Qaeda. It was 1998, and it's like, wow, that's, that's terrifying. Let's revisit this. And we didn't. We changed topics. So I've been on the wrong side of it. I did not stop in the middle of the Lewinsky conversation and say, I just get this sense there's something more important happening in the immediate future maybe we should be talking about. I'm not talking about that. It's a choice and it's a, it's a business. And one of the interesting things about this business is that they're not making the money that they probably should be off this campaign via the ratings, which are not what they're saying. They imagine are. what it's going to be like next year. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. Crater, I think, is the term from John McCain's time. What my complaint is, is the nature of the coverage. If we were invaded, the parallel to this coverage would be, let's discuss whether or not there might be something good about the Russians coming in via Alaska as they move down the Canadian West Coast. There's not enough, you know that line about uh, Woody Allen talking about, uh, I guess it's in, say, Manhattan, where he's talking about, they're they're at a cocktail party talking about uh, Nazis, about some Nazis wanting to march in Central Park and the... Michael O'Donoghue is saying, oh, you know, I read a devastating piece about that in The New Yorker. 
And he's going, yeah, that, that's great. I think we should, I mean, as I always think at some point we should, baseball bats. Baseball bats are the solution. Nobody's saying baseball bats. And I'm not saying yeah. it literally. But there is something to get mad about, especially considering that so much of what the Trump side is using is anger and this kind of amorphous discontent from people who really have it fairly good in life. And, and they're, they're being responded to by, oh, I read a devastating piece. Uh, Keith Olbermann did a great commentary on that in GQ. Well, that's when I started swearing. It's like, no, you have to get angry about this. Did, did someone talk to you when you said, I'm going to do this thing at GQ about, look, it's great that you're angry, but it's not really how web video works. I don't know if you've seen Facebook, but it's all about sharing, you know, penguin stuff. And or, by the way, the sound's going to be off, so we need a, something visual. Mm-hmm. Yelling, yelling. And you literally were yelling at Trump in, in today's clip. Yeah, I wasn't using a microphone. That was me coming in through you, your you window. Were, you were projecting very nicely. It's really anonymous. Yes. Um, to at least the way video is being made and or consumed Agreed. today. Agreed, yes. And did anyone say, maybe not do that, Keith, or did you say, this is what I'm going to do? Well, you know, we, we had an understanding what when I signed up for this project with them. We had an understanding of what they wanted and what I wanted, and they happened to coincide. And there, there have been factors internal that make complete sense from their point of view, which is they have a, an established online presence. And there are rules that, that as you say, fit. The first script I submitted was 17 minutes long, <laughs> and it consisted of me looking into a camera and reading, and because of the production techniques, we needed to cover about 30 seconds of the 17 minutes with pictures of Donald Trump. Yeah. The rest of it was just me, and the the people who are experienced in viral video and all, everything on the internet now who are not old enough to have seen what happened the first time I put things like that on the internet that were produced at MSNBC where we had more people watching it on the internet in 2006 than saw it on MSNBC, they didn't see that the, the rules are fine, except when the material is about something. I'm not, not talking about quality, but it's about something that is atypical and exceptional. In other words, people at home understand how different this election is from anything they've, they've experienced previously, and they're willing to watch this thing. So when it got to, the first one got to 3 million views across all platforms, those who thought, well, there is a rigid set of rules that apply to all viral videos, rethought. And you got to say, yeah, no, what I'm doing works for this thing. So. Yeah, and, and, tr- and to be and to be absolutely fair, many of the things that they suggested were things I had not had not occurred to me, or questions or reservations that they had, in which I said, well, okay, how about if we meet it this way? And they went, okay, great. So there've been, a ver- I mean, they're not all 17 minutes long. I mean, some of them have been as short as three and four minutes. I saw a five-minute one on dogs. Right. right. But you also ended that with, fuck you, Don. So yes, I did. So anger there. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, so I want to go back in time for a second. But to okay. your overall point, we understand where this came from. I was looking for a good, responsible platform to essentially produce these things for me and share uh, branding, me and them, a place that had some authenticity in the marketplace and... I was looking and there were some people who were interested and I put it out to a lot of places. And at the same time, GQ was wondering why I wasn't doing commentaries. So when we met, it was, can we do this? Not what are we going to do? I think so far out of the first 14, 15 scripts that I have written, there have been eh, 15 words changed. Well, so why would they bother, right? Well, mostly just, you know, well, you can't say it's not technically treason. And we're going to come up with it instead. Well, all right morally treasonous. Okay. <laughs> Close to treason. Roll tape. But I mean, literally, it's just eat it and you sit there going, well, yeah, that's that's actually uh, improves it because then you can't be accused of just wildly throwing around unsupportable charges. So you even been, though it's even though it's treason. You've been a guy on TV shaking your fist, wagging your finger, 
you mean it. It's not an act for you. No. For a long time. But but my I memory, wish. but my initial memory of you is is Sports Center guy. Mm-hmm. And it's hazy because it was a long time ago and I was probably high and drunk a lot. But my memory was you and Dan Patrick were doing this really cool thing, which is you were delivering us sports highlights because that's what we wanted. But you were also saying, we get that it's funny to talk about sports highlights. We get that it's funny to take talk about sports seriously. We're in on the joke. And we're going to be a bit wry and a bit detached. Um, and it was a brand new sort of way of talking about sports. Different from the persona I think a lot of people think of you now. Yeah. Do you ever think uh, that maybe I should go back to some of that, or do you think you toggle back and forth between well, yeah, between I, the two? I do. I certainly, uh, on a net effect of the entirety of the career, I've toggled back and forth because I've spent, you know, I went back to ESPN for a third time in 2013 right. and did commentaries every night that were, you know, ranged from rage to laughing my way through a, reading a. Uh, a story or a press conference or something like that, a transcript of a press conference. So, so yeah, I know I understand that a lot of people just look at it and go, well, how in, how in the hell did this guy become that guy? My argument was it's the same guy. When I was in local news, by my career path was national radio, then CNN in its infancy as a street reporter for, for sports, and then I went into local TV. When I was in local TV in L.A. in 1989, in the middle of the World Series, the San Francisco earthquake right. hit. And I argued... I went on and did a commentary, or I just asked this question a couple of times on my local, you know, Channel 2 News at 6 o'clock. When baseball said that they were going to give some of the proceeds from the World Series to the cities of San Francisco and Oakland, who happened to be playing in the World Series and had San Francisco and Oakland on their chests, what did that mean? Why didn't they have, uh, when the series resumed, why didn't they play an exhibition game and give all the money to these people who were crushed to death beneath, beneath the Nimitz Freeway? And I did a version of this which I now recognize was a special comment that would have fit in perfectly with MSNBC since 1989. So my point always was, and I think you touched on it, my point, whether it was ESPN or local news or MSNBC later or the stuff I'm doing now, well, the stuff I'm doing now is very pointed and fixed. Humor is still used as part of the process. The one at the commentary about the dogs is largely humorous until I get to the fuck you part. Right. But – he is then talking about poisoning dogs, so I think you need a change. Of, you can't make a joke about that. What I've always thought was that the thing that I brought that other people did not have, and it might be my only skill, would be the ability to, within a matter of a couple of seconds, converting from very angry to very funny to sort of poetic about something sad. And that's the that's life. I mean, life is not all anger, right. and then, then it's tragedy, and then it's happy. It's a mix. But sports is usually... All light, right? There's occasionally there's an earthquake. But generally, right, it, when people are, are whipped up when they're talking about sports, it's fake. It's pro wrestling. They're not really angry about, about – well, no, But all right. No, go ahead. Pick, then pick, I'll your, pick your I, NFL I, quarterback I, controversy. I will tell you a story that suggests that that's not always true. And, and, and when I watch it, I think, you know, whatever. It's, it's harmless entertainment. Um, it seems sad to take the stuff at face value. I was just talking to Horowitz, who used to do ESPN Sports Center, is now doing stuff for Fox 1. Oh, uh, Jamie. Jamie. My, well, and, Jamie, one of my good friends. And he says, you can't, you can't, you know, what, what people don't get is you can't joke about sports. You've got to take this stuff seriously. Otherwise, the whole thing sort of crumbles. What you have to but take. you did. You winked. You have to take the detail seriously. In other words, if you took every joke that Dan Patrick and I ever made on SportsCenter, any joke I made in my years at local sports or when I went to Fox or when I went back to do NBC Sunday Night Football, any of these things, you take the jokes out, it's still a good sportscast. It is something my mother once said about the piano. You want to play jazz piano, you have to play 
chopsticks first. You have to learn right. and be able to succeed at the basics, which is hilarious because she never played the piano in her life, but she used to use this analogy and it's stuck in my head. And I don't play the piano either, but I think you know what I'm talking about. But I will say this. When I was back to L.A. in 1987, 88, something like this, in addition to the sports casts that I did there, I used to do the afternoon sports on the, uh, the CBS All News radio station. I did, you know, just the, the uh -huh. all, all news, in that case, was KNX radio. And I one time said something about uh, an outfielder named Cal Daniels of the Los Angeles Dodgers who was a marvelously gifted hitter who couldn't have cared what happened once he hit the ball. He didn't, I mean, it was just hitting the ball was his entire experience. And because he loafed down the first baseline and the third baseman who picked up the ball dropped it, dropped it again and threw it to first, Cal had gotten about a quarter of the way down. The, he should have, <laughs> he should have made it and the time run should have scored, but he loafed yeah. at the word. He wasn't injured. He didn't get, somebody didn't hit him with a rock from the crowd. He loafed. And I said on the air, he loafed and the phone rang when I came back to my desk and it was a guy who said, I know where your office is. I know when you you leave and I know where you go to the other office at KTLA and I'm going to be down there and I'm going to cut your tongue out at the end of the show for saying bad things about the Dodgers. So the idea that it's, you know, it's all fun and games. Yeah. Some people do take it psychotically oh, no, no, seriously. I, I and, and, my, and one of the things that occurred to me later was that if I was going to be physically harmed in any way, it would be much better if it were for criticizing a president who, say, was an advocate of torture than it was, you know, yes, and he was shot and killed because he said something about Cal Daniels of the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's not a very You good, want to blaze a glory, not. No, not that. It's like a, that's a waste of my skills to get killed over Cal Daniels rather than thrown into the back of a black limousine and wind up at Gitmo. I, I do miss the jokes, though. I miss the are your kind of jokes. And again, this, I'm old, and maybe I'm pining after my favorite indie band before they got too big. But yeah. it seemed like you guys created this thing. It was great. It was very of the moment. And then subsequently, people who followed after you picked up the make a joke part or have a catchphrase. Oh, but, yes. But it, they didn't seem to be in on the joke, just Rob, the catchphrase part. Uh, yes. Rob, I think that's fairly close to where we're at now. Yeah. I always used to joke with Dan as we saw this, and you know, my, the friends that I worked with at a certain point, you get to be about 35 or 40, and suddenly the people that you broke in with are in charge of things, yeah. and they're news directors and things. It's exciting and scary. And I've got, I got a call going, okay, I'm looking for a new sportscaster from a friend of mine in Los Angeles who's a news director. He goes, I got two piles. I got Dan's, and I got Keith's. Will you stop this already? And I used to joke to Dan that we were going to be like, if any of the world's major religions were correct, we were going to be like Robert Oppenheimer. We were going to be sent, not necessarily to hell, but to purgatory, where somebody would say, now go over there and sit on that hard wooden bench for a thousand years and think about what you did. And Dan used to say, just because dad gets to use the, yeah. the chainsaw doesn't mean the kids get to play with but the tools, But it makes sense, too. right? No one's, doing anything. no one's doing any harm. It just seems like the kind of thing you guys did is something maybe only you guys could do. No, but what our overarching point was, do something that, that you look at the, at the culture and you say, well, I can fulfill its yeah. needs and also satirize it at the same time. Do your own version of that. And it's that, again, it's the Monty Python and Life of Brian movie where he says to his flock that is standing out there, Graham Chapman, as the, as the false prophet figure who says, you know, you're all different. You're all, you should all live independent lives. And they all chant in unison, we're all different. We should all live uniform. And then one guy in the back goes, I'm not. And I'm not is, of course, the person we hoped all the sportscasters would inspire to be. They're like, they'd come on and do a satire of what we're doing. And nobody got that part. It's easier, and, it's easier to repeat. So we, well, did, we did Oppenheimer, yeah. we did Monty Python, yeah. uh, we did You Getting Stabbed to Death. We should take a break for a minute. Okay. Come back. See if right. still Absolutely. 
Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks, the super simple cloud accounting software that's helping more than 5 million small businesses conquer their paperwork in less time with way less stress. It only takes 30 seconds to create and send a polished, professional-looking invoice, and customers who accept online payments with FreshBooks get paid an average of three days faster. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you sent them. They also track your expenses, cash flow, and all the time you're spending on each project. FreshBooks is offering a free month to all Recode Media listeners right now. It's easy to get. You go to freshbooks.com slash Peter, enter Recode Media in the How You've Heard About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash Peter to start your 30-day free trial. Back here with Keith Olbermann, who is still here. He's not been stabbed for, for saying seditious yeah, things or yeah. insulting sports. Yeah, I, I always worry about bringing that topic up. Like People go, oh, good idea. Hmm, where but I, you know, I've gotten fake anthrax at my house and other things have happened. So it's like, okay. Do you miss the time that you were on TV during Lewinsky, during the Gulf War, being on screen every day? Uh, talking about stuff that was important. Um, are you happy doing what you're doing now where you get to sort of pick and choose how and when you're, you're on a screen? This is very satisfying for very very many different reasons, but the primary one is that so far the viewership, uh, based on an average from show to show, would exceed anything being shown on MSNBC or CNN. So I'm actually talking to a larger audience. That's the beauty of the Facebook instant video, probably. Exactly. I mean, the first one is $3 million. Uh, the first of these, the 17-minute one that broke all the rules of virality, was at three million as of the beginning of uh, of the week, beginning of the month. So we're, I, I'm I'm perfectly satisfied with that. It's a new environment, but I think what's going to happen in the future in terms of video news, what we consider television news, is going to look a lot more like this than the CBS Evening News or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever. Those formats are dying, and I'm the youngest old guy who was actually in the business when cable blossomed. I mean, the day I started at network radio at UPI in this city, ESPN had not yet started. It was still a few months away. And CNN was a year away. And those would be the first two television networks I ever worked for. So they didn't exist yet. And I saw how cable took over things. And I think some form, I don't see it exactly right. Could be downloads, could be news flicks, could be a combination of, of brands. I mean, the GQ folks are, are ahead of the curve on this. They see that perhaps the future of, of the whole thing is get a brand and get an online presence that is downloadable, uploadable, whatever, however it's going to work. Maybe every day it's live at 8 o'clock and then you just keep refeeding it or whatever you do, it's going to be some sort of pick-and-choose menu for the news consumer who will watch 16 different things from 16 different origins and will be able, you know, on their watch to hit what they want, and then it will be there for them. The TV model is, this mm-hmm. thing is on now, you have to right. watch it now. You have now. to watch it now, or we'll let you record it, but you, right. but maybe not. And if we're a 24 or 7 news channel, we're going to repeat it every 15 minutes, because we got to fill time, and we'll have a version of this conversation every every yeah. all the time. And then up until a couple years ago, the, the internet model was, you got to go get it when you want it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And then now Facebook is, we're just going to push it at you, and maybe you'll stop and look at it in between pictures of your dog or your kids. Do any of those make more or less sense to you as a way to consume information? Well, uh, let me tell you another quick story. So I get to Cornell at 16 in 1975, and Cornell University is in Ithaca, New York. And you went to Cornell because you were going to school there, not because you were visiting at 16. Yes, they let me in. So you're precocious. Yeah, well, that's one word for it. Uh, They thought I was above average in intelligence, which is something I disproved by working in television (laughs) for 30 years. 
so I get there and I had grown up in the suburbs of New York and we had the world's largest selection of local television. So we had seven different stations and on a, you know, stormy night, you got channel 10 from Philadelphia mm-hmm. and eight different stations. And I get to Ithaca, New York, which is in a naturally created pit in the ground. It's just got these like Alp-like hills on every side. There's, I don't, to this day, I don't think there's been a TV signal broadcast into Ithaca, New York. So in 1954, they built a cable system. They put a big antenna on top of the hill and put some wires next to the phone wires or something, and everybody had cable. I got to Ithaca, New York, and I saw 25 channels and uh, 25 blank spaces on the little device on top of the little box, and I went, oh, my goodness. When I was a kid and when I was a teenager, I thought maybe there'll be an all-sports TV network and maybe it will be an all-news TV network someday. It's like soon. Who will run it? CBS, NBC, ABC, who will do this? They've got to be one of the big ones. They're going to jump right into this, right? They're going to see the future. It's, it's right. It's here. It's in a box in my, in my dorm room. And the answer was, there was a guy in Atlanta who was buying a TV station there and hated the news so much that he moved the six o'clock news to 3 a.m. and called it the six o'clock news at 3 a.m. And five years later, he's launching the first all news cable network. And six years later, he's hiring me. So the to predict what Wait, which I'm is going to say the words Ted Turner in, Ted case, Tur- our, in case our audience is yes. not up to speed. Uh, uh, we all thought he was crazy. We used to race to the to the bank with the checks. We we thought maybe when you sign them, when you endorse the check, we were assuming that much of the yep. debt. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was like, oh yeah, they found him. He's not. He's, he was in a dumpster somewhere. You owe us eight million dollars. And he was ahead of the. He knew he saw it, and we didn't see it. I don't see what the next thing is now. And you know, in 1979, I sure wouldn't have picked Ted Turner to be the guy who did see it. So I don't know who has it. But you're flexible enough that you've adapted to this world, and you figured out how to. Or, or you're working with people who know how to get views for the thing you're doing now. So you're good. You know anybody in the news business who's gotten a new job in the last year? If you're not looking ahead to what the next format is, I use this analogy to a couple of the people at GQ. The train, the last train has just clunkered out of the station and there's steam coming out of it and maybe maybe the the back wheel is is not on the track entirely no offense to what happened in jersey but they're going nine miles an hour and it's just going screech down the track and you you know you're told there'll be a bullet train here any moment you don't know when you don't know if you're on the right track but there is going to be a bullet train it's going to look like i think the i think the template is going to look something like netflix and it's going to be on demand on demand, here's okay, here's here's Keith Olbermann with 30 minutes of news, but it's actually three 10-minute components. You don't have to watch the whole thing. You can you can take one of them. You want the commentary? There it is. You want the hard news? There it is. You yeah. want the worst persons in the world? There it is. Build your own show. And if you're not satisfied with that, over here next to it is Glenn Beck, and next to it is, you know, whoever the next crazy person is, and then the next crazy person. And then over here we have a robot reading the news. And are you the kind of person who says, that's awesome, because everyone's gonna get everything they want? Or are you the kind of person who says, I liked it better when there was a couple voices and everyone at least got something of the same information and well, we didn't have to worry about outliers? Well, there's two answers to that. One is, yes, I, I'm, I loved the idea when there were three evening newscasts. It was, there was a great understanding of what news was and it was, it was an art form. And it was who was going to paint the best picture of the sunset. I mean, it really was. I've got my six correspondent painters over here, and you've got your six guys. And ah, yes, but we have Walter. He's the best painter of them all. But the major point is, who cares what I like? And frankly, who cares what you like or anybody listening? That's the, we're not going to make the decision individually. It's going to be a marketplace decision. And you wonder who's the guy who's going to come up with the real format for it. 
given my druthers, I would like there to be one newscast and be done by me, but it's not going to happen that way either. Do you think Trump would have risen in in an earlier version of of TV news where there really were three main newscasts and those were the guys and their teams who sort of filtered out what you saw and didn't see? Or do you think, look, he he makes irresistible TV. He would have been on TV regardless. Well, look at Huey Long. Huey Long is sort of lost in American history because he got shot. But he was making a Trump-like rise through the American political system in the 30s, where he was able to sort of suspend the rules and essentially be senator from and governor of Louisiana at the same time, taking 10% off the top of every transaction in the state and running for president and planning to replace Franklin Roosevelt by offering people cash. And I mean, it was... he, he had no political agenda yep. whatsoever other than the advancement of Made Huey Long. Made a great Long. book out of it. Right. And he was he was this personable individual who just charmed everybody. And clearly, in retrospect, he was a psychopath. And he was just interested in power for its own sake. But there was no TV there, but there was radio. And just the, the power of his voice commanded people to say, well, maybe this is the solution to our crisis. Now, the difference between the thing that enabled Trump in particular to sell the idea that he is the solution to a crisis is the fact that there is no crisis. There are many things wrong in this country, but at the bottom line, at its worst in the last um, certainly 50 years, it's been great. Now, could we make it greater? Lots of different ways to make it greater. Many of them conservative, many of them liberal. It's great. It doesn't have to be great again. But that is the conceit, the fiction in this that I think is unique to television, to portray a world in people's minds viscerally and with video that there is some sort of cataclysm that's about to ruin their lives in Presque Isle, Maine, or you know, but, uh, in, in North Platte, Nebraska. But I think initially, especially at least, right, there were a lot of networks, CNN among them, all of them, though, they said, obviously, we, Trump's a clown, but he, he's an entertaining clown. He gets great numbers. We're going to put him on TV. That was an act decision to put him on. Yes. Um, then there was Twitter, which has no one running it, really. Um, and and his his brain, which has no one right, running right. it. So, so you put these things so, together. Yes. Yeah. So so there's no there's no guidelines there. Just do whatever you want. Right. And he went up at the same time, sort of on both. Maybe they worked with each other. Uh, I'm just I, I don't know that uh, in a Cronkite era he gets through. But you're saying, look, Huey Long did. So yeah, well, Huey Long, obviously that preceded things. But but what did network news, and obviously it was nascent then, and, and literally the, it was still had uh, NBC's network news in that ter- period of time was still John Cameron Swayze sitting in front of a giant pack of cigarettes. Yeah. Literally the desk was a giant pack of cigarettes. A, a box, not only that, but camels, which are essentially, you know, just one puff and you're dead. And John <laughs> Cameron Swayze sitting there giving you the news. But what rose during that time? Joe McCarthy. Yep. And Joe McCarthy never even ran for president and was the most powerful man in the country in 1952. So there's this undercurrent and it's going to bubble up periodically. Yeah, it, and you know, it, it is instructive that as late as the 1st of September, 1864, Abraham Lincoln thought he was not going to be reelected because the Civil War was not going well for the North. And even though nobody, basically nobody in the South had a vote at all, they anticipated they were going to lose to General McClellan, the worst general in American history, perhaps, and possibly a, a Southern spy on top of everything else, whose platform was to give up the Civil War no matter where they stood and just get out. And by the way, repudiate the Emancipation Proclamation and get rid of the greatest president in the history of the country who'd held the country together almost single-handedly for four years to the point where the Republicans were considering, some of them were saying, let's have another convention and get somebody besides this Lincoln idiot. Then Sherman won Atlanta. And everything swung the other way. And after all this, 
Lincoln only won 55-45. 45% of the North voted to give up a war they were clearly now winning. So we have always had, and I made this point a lot more last year when there was more time between Trumpian events than I have this year, but we always have had in this country, as much as we go nostalgic about, oh, the informed electorate yeah. and listening to the Lincoln-Douglas debates where they spoke for an hour and a half and then everybody went to the bathroom in the woods and then they came back and listened for another hour and a half of one guy talking, they were 40 to 50% of the country is Voters have always been yeah. wrong. You know, I was always struck by that uh, during Obama's first run when yeah. he's running in in a depression. Right, mm -hmm. looked like we we're going to be eating out of cans. Yeah. And this this uh, this you know the, the equivalent of the Vietnam War. Two of those things, and the incumbent party still nearly won or came close. Well, yeah, uh, but even starker choices. Yep. In the past, have always have there often been. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he's the greatest president of all time. He nearly lost re-election in the middle of a civil war. We we're going to change presidents for this idiot. McClellan. Now it's now it's another period of time, and we have another idiot and another reason for idiocy upon the part of the electorate. You should do a spinoff video where you do history lessons. Is it great? Thank you. Well, if you'll notice carefully that they, these are often woven yes, into I the do, piece. That's notice. yeah. That's I was told I was going to be a history teacher as well, so it comes out. Oh, every you once you wised up. Though. That's good. My wife's a history professor. It's yeah. a bad route to go. Don't do it, kids. Um, we are recording this on a Tuesday. The VP debate is tonight, which means when you hear this, it'll have happened. No one cares. Uh, oh, by the way, anytime anybody says that, something comes out of it. You think it'll be a Lloyd Benson? Yeah, I don't think we're going to have anything as good as Sarah Palin winking and all of the conservatives getting aroused and writing it. <laughs> Rich, go get, if you're going to watch something, if you have two minutes, go and find Rich Lowry's piece about Sarah Palin from the vice presidential debate in 2008, where it's just short of porn. All right, yeah, it's just short of auto porn. Right, you, can, you can pause the podcast now. No, go sorry, find that. Just, come back. Just, it's the, just, it still makes me laugh. When you so with, something might happen. Something might happen. I'm gonna, it's, it's Pence. Who knows? I'm gonna he's going to say, "Okay, you're right. This he, is not real hair." He did okay. say. He did say. I'm shit. actually Roger Stone. He said shit yesterday. Um, I know. NBC had to bleep it out. But and again, in a Trump era, who who cares about that? But going forward, we do have the next uh, oh, presidential yeah. debate. Mm -hmm. If you were covering this mm -hmm. sort of day-to-day -day news, would you what, what lessons would you take from the first debate that would inform your coverage? Uh, that I don't know that Hillary Clinton and the people who prepared her for the last one need any advice. <laughs> they seem to have – I mean, I think it was well-known in their circles and I, to the point where I even heard about it that the idea was say something, debate him early. If it doesn't immediately produce results, give it about half an hour. He'll come back and to it, it and, he'll, and he'll implode. Just her calling him Donald. Well, yes, and then she, but she threw in a few digs at the beginning that implied he was a crazy liar, since that's the truth. It wasn't hard to imply those things. And he, he wasn't rattled for half an hour, and then he came back to it. You could see the, the, the anger yep. crossing over one eye through the empty head and then out the other eye and out the ear. So they don't they, – I don't know that they need any, anything to do. They can play it fairly conservatively and wait for him to do something where he goes too far because I think he believes he can knock off her presidency and her campaign – because he's so far ahead that one more good shot and she's done. And the problem with that is the people around him who are living in our dimension believe that he is this close, my fingers are right next to each other, this close to losing by 10 or 15 points, and he might as well go for some sort of traumatic, gigantic statement just short of throwing a punch at her. So these things, these, the same thing from two completely different points of view. I suspect he will go in, and I think he, I think he may have telegraphed this punch. I don't believe any of this stuff about he's not going to mention Bill, he's not going to mention infidelity. He, when he said she has not been loyal to him, 
What do you think he was talking about? I didn't really process that, did I? Yeah. What is he talking about? He's he's talking about infidelity. Yeah. But I think I think there's a next thing he can say to her that he thinks would be the end of her presidency about that subject. Like, who would that be? I with? just learned that she she assassinated a WikiLeaks guy today. That, that, that was news to me. Some of this stuff has washed Look, past me as well. Let me just put it this way: If you're talking about Assange, I wish. Yeah, no, no, it was it was, no, it was no. her staffer. She right, had they got, and that's that's why they didn't release the yeah. the great secret. The, the the October surprise was Roger Stone's hair is not his own. Okay, <laughs> I use that joke on Twitter, and there it is again. But what I'm saying is, when he's talking about Bill's infidelity, this was as the uh, as the Time story was about to yeah. break Saturday night a week ago. He says, you know, uh, not only was she, you know was she attacked all the women in his life, but uh, she wasn't loyal to him. I mean, would you be loyal to him? I don't think she was loyal to him. And so she's implying some sort of infidelity. And then there's another stage to that, which is who the infidelity was with. Well, there's something in his head. I, I, I did not pick up on I that one. That one just, that I one think just that's what, what's in, next. In the rush we were talking something about. like he's going to accuse her of an affair with a, I don't know, a polar bear. seems like I the big know. lesson from that one is, is the last debate is if it's a tie on stage, you can trust Trump. The, the real issue is what Trump does afterward. Right, because immediately after mm-hmm. that debate, he goes into the spin room and starts making it worse for himself, right. and then can't. And, and then we're still the next lit- morning, still litigating it five days later. I right. would have won if you hadn't listened to the spin, and I went into the spin room and spun. So all he's got to do is walk off stage and then shut up, right? Or have someone take the phone. Well, when I mean seventy years now, and there's no indication anybody can get him to shut up, so I wouldn't worry about that. Speaking of Twitter, you told me off microphone before we talk. I want to get this on here. You use Twitter. You no longer get in Twitter fights because you figured out a magic trick. Yes. I would spend up to an hour a day arguing with people who would respond. Uh, I would be trolled successfully. And what I found out was if you reconfigure your Twitter to not automatically present you your at replies and other you know, sundry messages yeah. from people you're not following, your blood pressure will drop and you will have a free hour. And you will not get suspended from any jobs because you started swearing <laughs> at people and inadvertently trashed a charity, which is what I, which has happened to me at ESPN. How long? How long have you been able to exercise this kind of control? Well, let's see. That was like February 2015, so it's been that way ever since. That's and super pe- impressive. Every once in a while, I will go and look, and I will, and then at five minutes, looking at, and I will say, "Why did you do this?" And I will throw the phone, or shut off the phone, or disable the phone in some way. It's like I, I came to this about 10, 15 years ago. Having been one of these compulsive, I've got to, 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 you're working in an ephemeral business. How do you verify that you actually exist? Well, what did the critics say? It's not good, bad, or indifference. It's like, no, I exist here because there's an article about me in the LA Times. Right. Twitter's even better at getting a dopamine rush. Right. So what you do is you say, what you finally say is, hey, I don't think this is likely to be positive. So don't read it, moron. And then it's not, you're not pretending it doesn't exist. You're not pretending you're perfect. You're just saying, I'm going to keep my blood pressure low and devote myself to something else. You seem pretty chilled out. I'm I, winking as I say this. N- no, I, I got chilled out by, by doing that and by getting dogs. Keith Oberman's tips for better living? Don't get, look at your at replies. Get dogs. Get dogs. Thank you, Keith. Two of them if possible. This is great. You guys like listening to this, and of course you did. You listened to the whole thing. Um, you should go subscribe to this, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you want. Our only ask is that you subscribe. If you're feeling super generous, you should rate us super, super generous. Tell a friend. That's all good. Uh, Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this. Thanks to Digital Media for distributing this. And thanks to you guys for listening. We are back next week.